Hey everybody, as usual, I am on location. Not on location like it's a movie set. <laughs> on location like I'm in the clinic. <laughs> and I'm with someone who's been with us before. This is Brittany. Hello. All right, so I've got something super interesting. Brittany, you know women's health. You do maternity care. You get that, right? I do. All right, so one thing is, at what age do we call it... Um, we used to say advanced maternal care. I trained it was elderly care, and that really pissed a lot of people off. But at what age cutoff do we just say, hey, there's just some natural risks uh, that it's totally okay to get pregnant after, but at this age and above, we say it's kind of kind of a little bit more risky. What age is that for a mom? 35. See that? No prompting. Right off the bat, everybody gets 35. Excellent. That's not the question. <laughs> the question is, Brittany, what is advanced paternal age? 35 or older? Don't you just love the quivering in the voice? Is it? <laughs> so this is the question. So I ask you guys, I ask, ask somebody in your, in, in your little peer group, hey, how do you define advanced paternal age? And Brittany, this is the topic of this episode. This is exactly the issue. Is that advanced paternal age at 35? No. <laughs> it's actually at 40. Oh, thank at, God. At 40, at 40. Uh, you know what? There's some issues there. So here's the catch. As we all talk about health equity, right? Health equity is a big deal. Yeah, it is. For sure. And But we always talk about advanced maternal care and age, which is fine. We're missing something here because we've known for the last 20 years that advanced paternal age leads to some adverse fetal outcomes. And some things are pretty scary. Now, this is not to scare anybody. It's just to say it's just normal risks. And remember, hazard ratios is different than absolute numbers. Okay, so we've got to put that in perspective. But the hazard ratios are pretty, pretty striking. So, Brittany, we're going to cover advanced paternal age in the episode. Good idea? I think it's a great idea. All right, y'all, let's get into advanced paternal age. Here we go. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Robert De Niro is once again a proud papa. He turns 80 this summer, and he's just welcomed his 70th. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, I was like, whoa. 70th child. Good Lord. The he just welcomed his seventh child. This is what the actor tells E.T. Canada. De Niro already has children ranging from 51 years old to 11 years old by three different women. The actor says he's a loving dad, even though he has to be stern about stuff. So I did, personally, I did question recently how old uh-huh. is too old. Like, you how old are just things, <laughs> apparently things still work at 80 years old. So I got nothing to worry about. Not for, for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, the, the man is not the problem. Well, that was a recent news release regarding Robert De Niro's 
You heard it. Becoming a Dad at the Age of 80. That was released on May 2023. And did you hear what one of those news anchors said uh, before the cackle? I mean, before the laugh. <laughs> That's so terrible. <laughs> just, just tell me the news. Um, <laughs> she said, oh, you guys aren't the problem. It's our stuff uh, that doesn't work as well. Did y'all catch that? Now, this is not a medical news show, because if it was, she would know how wrong that statement actually is. You see, guys, this is where there's a disconnect. So, and and then the other, somebody else chimed in, oh, yeah, your stuff, men's stuff works all the time. It's our stuff, meaning women, that stops working. But just because somebody can father a child at 79, is that necessarily the best, putting the child uh, to the child's best interest um, uh, in perspective? Now, I, I don't mean to say that in a weird way, and I definitely don't want any hate comments, please. Uh, I'm just trying to say, um, well, one, what the average life expectancy in the U.S., it's not, you know, that much further down the road from 80. And so I'd, my whole thing is, man, this poor child is going to not have that much years left um, with with a father. But so the first thing is, if that's the deal, if that's what somebody wants to do, God bless them. Hey, knock themselves out. But my point in, in saying this and doing this episode is that we're kind of missing something here in reproductive health care. All right. And while we've always been concentrating on, as we said in the intro with Brittany, on advanced maternal age or the elderly gravity, that's how I, ugh, I, I trained with the word elderly. Then we went to AMA, advanced maternal age, and I was just pregnancy at age 35 and above. Um, we're kind of missing some of the counseling as as fathers become older in age. Now, in this case, at at 80, I mean, my goodness, at 80, that's obviously the extreme, but it does make the point that we do have to talk about this because just because uh, you know sperm seems to function uh, doesn't mean that that sperm quality is okay because there is some changes to sperm function uh, to uh, to sperm characteristics that may actually through epigenetics or direct uh, as a direct insult um, may affect uh, the pregnancy itself for some adverse outcomes and put the child at risk of some some undesired issues down the road. These are real. So, so here's a question that we start off right off the bat. We, we've always been taught advanced maternal age, advanced maternal age, right? As in, uh, you know, do an amnio, although you, you can do an amnio on, on anybody should offer an amnio as well as self-free DNA to any patient, not just those above the age of 35. That's ACOG stance. Um, but what, what kind of counseling do we do when the father is above a certain age cutoff? Anybody? What, what, what kind of counseling? None, really, that I know of, right? What sparked this was, outside of this news coverage from De Niro, uh, and I think Pacino uh, also had a, a kid recently, and my goodness, some old dudes, uh, was that I had a patient in our community high-risk clinic uh, who was 25 and whose partner was 50. Okay, so my first question is, okay, uh, hold on a minute. Let me just, I'm very happy for you. You look like you are, uh, you know, in a non-abusive, healthy relationship. But I have to ask, are you in a healthy, non-abusive relationship? (laughs) That's the first thing, right, is, hey, you're pregnant. Uh, Did you, were you planning on it? Um, Or was this a surprise? Was, uh, tell me what's going on with the relationship because I have to protect the patient, right? She goes, no, 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 yeah, it's totally, that's my partner. Yeah, so we always make fun of him because he's older. I'm like, like double your age older. Um, but then she, she asked something very uh, interesting and with good insight. She said, his, is his age an issue for this pregnancy? 
How about that? Uh, now, mind you, this isn't this wasn't somebody who's medical. This is somebody in the community um, who's in a in a loving relationship with a little bit of age discrepancy, twenty five and fifty. Uh, but we had this conversation. I'm like, you know, I'm so glad you asked because uh, there's no specific test that I can do right now during the pregnancy because of that. But we do need to talk about some things that just for your education, maybe to look out for uh, based on advanced paternal age. Right. So we're going to answer. We're going to get into more of these details here in a minute. So as I've kind of opened up the bag already. And I said, there, there's no specific test that I can do because of that. You see how this is one of the gaps? Because there's things that we can offer women of advanced maternal age, right? We get that for testing for, for the child's overall genetic wellness. But right now, most professional societies do not have any guidance about extra interventions or diagnostic tests for a pregnancy when the father is above a certain age. Isn't that interesting? And we're like, well, because what's the problem? Well, the problem is that, th- that there are some things that we can detect antenatally. I mean, there, there is a higher risk of certain congenital anomalies. Uh, th- there's risks of, of preterm birth. There's in some data, there's some really scary things like potentially the risk of, of, of stillbirth. When everything else is, is, is accounted for, just looking at advanced paternal age. Uh, and of course, there's the, the most, uh, probably the, mo- the scariest thing here. Uh, the most interesting is is long-term neurodevelopmental outcomes because large population databases, right? Typically like the Danes, like the Danish, uh, Swedes, who have these large national uh, population databases have found some very interesting things controlling for all the variables. The only thing that pops out is advanced paternal age for, for certain neurodevelopmental issues. Okay, and I'm going to address those in this episode. Uh it's kind of scary. Now, remember, uh, hold on. If somebody's partner's like over a certain age, I don't want you to flip out. Okay. These are hazards ratios. We're talking about likelihoods ratios, odds ratios. I mean, they're basically the same thing with some nuances. Uh, all, all the point is that the point is, is to say that they're, they're magnitude risks of elevation over a baseline, right? And, and they are higher for certain conditions that we're going to discuss. Although, and here's the big take home. While it's worrisome, while it should be something that we address with patients, the absolute number is still relatively small, okay? So don't turn off the podcast. You're like, oh, overall number is still kind of small. No, 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 because it, it's all about relative risk, and it does increase per strata of male age. Is that interesting? So the first question is, is there an issue with advanced paternal age and pregnancy wellness and overall child wellness? The answer is there seems to be. Yeah, I mean, the data kind of points that way. But of course, it's very hard to prove exact causation uh, because of a lot of factors. But this is not something that we just found out like, oh, last month. Oh, my goodness. We never knew this. We've known this for like 20 years. Uh, And every time this comes up to a debate or at a reproductive endocrinology conference like ASRM uh, or the European Society for Reproductive Health, they're like, "Um, yeah, okay, what do we do with that? Uh, I mean, at the one hand, we want to encourage, uh, you know, childbearing to be healthy, uh, to, ha- to have good family planning. But what do you do? Do you want to discourage somebody who's just above a certain age? And, and what is that age anyway? How do we define advanced paternal age? Ooh, let's stop there for a minute because I'm way ahead of myself. But uh, that's a good segue into what do you what actually is the age where we call it APA for advanced paternal age? Oh, I'm sorry, everybody. De Niro was 79 when he had the baby. It was in May, 
And the news report in the article said he turns 80 over the, quote, summer, end quote. So, yeah, I like how I I just got corrected by somebody next to me. He's actually 79. Oh, that makes it much better then. All right, let's cancel our episode, guys. Never mind. 79 is just fine. (laughs) Who cares? It was like a month later. (laughs) But I guess to be legit, let's be correct, because... This, you get, lately, I've gotten some interesting messages. Uh, yes, he, Robert De Niro had a child at 79 one month before he turned 80. How about that? Everybody happy? Everybody good? Fine, let's keep going. Older guys don't call you things like cute or hot. They call you things like stunning, gorgeous, shit with syllables. Things that would take a 20-something guy a little while to settle down. <laughs> And older guys aren't, like, cute or hot either. You know, they're handsome, distinguished, like old pictures of your grandpa you shouldn't look at too long. (laughs) You ever find one of those in an old dusty box? You're like, who is that? Oh, that's wrong. Okay. (laughs) They're not your family in those pictures yet. That's comedian uh, Taylor... Tomlinson on uh, a little uh, clip that we found. Look, guys, I, I, I definitely this is a super serious issue. This advanced paternal age is linked to some adverse perinatal outcomes. But again, I mean, you just got to laugh at life sometimes. And again, look, if there's a 25 year old who finds a 60 year old man, hey, just super sexy and that's their thing, then absolutely go for it as long as it's not abusive and everyone is comfortable and that's floating your boat. Uh, And look, as I get older... Um, I'm no spring chicken, guys, but I'm I'm not as old as others. And you know what I think keeps me young? Honestly, I love what I do, but I'm always around, you know, college age students. That's what I it's one of my patient populations. Uh, I teach medical students residents. Of course, I got three uh, kids still relatively young. And, and and that's still and I really believe it's it really is a big mindset. Um, I mean, I love my stage of life. Um, I, I, I know that I'm not what I can do what I can do uh, when I was 20 because, you know, nine o'clock rolls around and I'm like, if, look, if I'm not on call and delivering somebody or in surgery, uh, then I just want to be in bed. <laughs> And that's kind of woo exciting life that Chopper lives. But but I think this is part of natural part of 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 maturity, right? So yes, this is a serious topic, and I just found this from a Taylor a Tomlinson. I thought it was funny. All right, back to the episode. This is interesting. This concept of the age for a male that's considered advanced paternal age, because even though professional societies haven't actually come up with a set number. Most use a certain age cutoff, okay? Now, Brittany said 35 in the intro. It's that's thankfully not 35, and 50 is way too late, all right? So if you split the difference, most consider the age of 40, 40. Now, this is nothing new, because if you actually go back to fertility and sterility in ASRM for their guidelines for sperm donation, all right? Remember, ASRM is the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, uh, again, 20 years ago, guys, listen to this criteria for who can donate sperm, specifically around age. There's other things in there, but specifically regarding age, it says, quote, the donor should be of legal age, which in the U.S. is 18, but be younger than 40 years of age, quote, so that potential hazards related to aging are diminished, end quote. Whoa. So wait a minute. I, I, remember I said in the intro, hey, this has been going on for 20 years. Why, why don't we not 
uh, uh, educate patients about this more or couples about this or men, just as women are delaying childbearing for a variety of reasons. Uh, same thing for men. And again, yeah, as long as it's a mutual uh, loving relationship and it's not abusive and no one is threatened. If somebody, if there's a 25-year-old woman who's dating a 60-year-old man, if they're, in, if they're into that kind of deal, hey, as long as they're loving and taking care of each other, okay, who am I to say? Uh, but, uh, anyway, I just have one thing to say. Ew. I mean, ew. You gotta have sex with... Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> ew. I... Look, it is a working. People go, oh, it works in reverse. What about the twenty-five-year-old guy with a six-year-old woman? Yeah, that's still ew for me. I mean, now pick somebody your own age. I mean, why? Oh. Anyway, what am I talking about? Oh, the age. So legal age, but younger than forty, due to the potential hazards relating to aging. Now, remember, that's two thousand and two. So your thought would be, all right, that's fine. I get that. That's a long time ago. But no, no, no. If you look at individual states or sperm banks, it's pretty much the same thing. Actually, some are more conservative. According to the sperm donation guidelines for Augusta Health, they actually state that the upper age should be 38. That's two years younger than what ASRM says and what most published data call advanced paternal age, which is age 40. How about that? Is that interesting or what? So again, out of Augusta Health, which is actually using a lot of information from the Mayo Clinic, and if you go to AugustaHealth.com slash procedure slash sperm donation, this is what I'm looking at right now, um, the the upper limit is... Oh, what's happening to my voice? Sorry. Uh, I got got a little bit clamped there. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing that we still have a program after half the crap we say anyway it's 38 all right so 38 40 do you see how there is a limit if otherwise like this newscaster said oh men can have children their whole lives your stuff works all the time Uh, not necessarily male fertility does drop with age because sperm quality also drops with age i don't want to get too much about the preconception stuff however this is a a big uh, debate about should men over a certain age like 40 which is a traditional cutoff of apa so there it is it's 40 should they have pre-implantation genetic screening and while everybody's like yes i think that's a fantastic idea let's do that yeah well who's gonna pay for that That is super expensive, and not everybody has access to that. And so this is why saying things like that would limit a lot of of fertility options if you put these restrictions and these obstacles in people's way. So while I think that it's important to educate, I do personally believe having uh, restrictions like, oh, they must have certain, you know, pre-implantation genetic screening or uh, uh, be, uh, genetic evaluation uh, to begin with, those are obstacles that are expensive and just not practical in the general population. So we're kind of left with this age of 40, right? That's pretty much what is commonly and universally accepted, at least in medical literature and in research, as advanced paternal age. But but if you actually take a look at the data, like from the ACMG, all right, that's the American College of Medical Genetics, they, they kind of um, very soft walk around this topic. And they basically say, hey, older age, you know, quote, quote, older age for men, yes, can be an issue uh, with some reproductive uh, implications. But they don't really give a set 
age for what APA is. And they definitely don't recommend any additional screening or any kind of diagnostic intervention to those offsprings of older men. And that potentially is a little little gap. Now, I'm not saying if the husband is 41, everyone's supposed to get, you know, an amnio. No, but but definitely at least that detailed anatomical survey, at least patient education, um, so that things don't blindside somebody. And it's to have this conversation that, just like this news anchor said, oh, with men, that stuff just works all the time, all their life. Wait a minute, that that's a medical myth. All right, because there's physical things, there's impotence that increases as age, as a natural part of of, of, of decreasing sexual function, uh, in, in terms of erectile function, and and there is some some changes to sperm quality. There is some natural decline in male fertility because of sperm quality uh, and. Uh, and characteristics, all right? So this is why we're doing this, really for a point of awareness. And if somebody ever asks you, ah, uh, you know, we only worry about uh, about women's age, right, in pregnancy. No, just as we worry about paternal alcohol exposure. Remember, we covered that in the past too, because before that, there was another gap. Oh, mom's pregnant, don't, don't let mom drink. Well, actually, which is correct, by the way. But the, the new thing is, and that's some of the researchers here at Texas A&M University are, are leading this, um, this data is that, hey, if you're trying to conceive, uh, decrease drinking in the male partner also because the little drunk sperm uh, seems to not function well and, and can lead to certain complications as well. Not that sperm get drunk, but you get what I'm saying. So th- this issue at advanced paternal age really is uh, needs to t- needs to have some attention to it. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to throw ACMG under the bus at all because I have friends who work there. And, and it's, it's, it's a fantastic society. And they do have something to say about, about, about counseling patients, couples or men uh, of advanced paternal age. They, they actually do. But, but it's old. I mean, it, you can actually search for this, and I'll put the link, of course, on our reference list. The original, quote, statement on guidance for genetic counseling and advanced paternal age, end quote, by Genetics and Medicine, by the ACMG uh, Society, does actually say, hey, for men who are above the age of 40, this should be a, a counseling opportunity to talk to them about some of the potential uh, abnormal uh, or, or uh, adverse uh, obstetrical and neonatal outcomes associated with this. So this goes all the way back. Listen to this. Remember I said we've known this for a long time. The original goes back to 2002, and then they released a second update statement in 2008. And and I'm going to read this exactly from this because they do say, hey, at least you need to give them some counseling. Now, remember I said there's no specific diagnostic test or intervention, and that's true. But AC... Uh, MG, Medical College of Medical Genetics, does say you need to sit down with your patient and, and talk to them about this because there is some real potential adverse issues here that patients need to be aware of. The ACMG goes on to say in this practice guidance, quote, advanced paternal age is associated with an increased risk of new gene mutations. Because of the large number of cell divisions during spermatogenesis, the mutation rate for base substitutions is much higher in men than women and increases with paternal age. All right, so it is a linear change. They go on to say this risk for genetic defects does increase linearly for these conditions and exponentially exponentially for others. 
The conditions most strongly associated with advanced paternal age are those caused by mutations in the form of single base substitution. So let's stop there. If you're asked on an oral board or by a patient, you're like, what does this mean genetically? Well, there's something called single base substitutions. I'm going to get into other things, but this is one of the biggest family of disorders in, in advanced paternal age or APA, all right? These have to do with some conditions that can lead to things like Pfeiffer syndrome, Cruzon syndrome, Appert syndrome, achondroplasia, and some dominant conditions that are caused by gene changes include both point mutations and base pair deletions like neurofibromatosis. Now, again, those are all scary things, right? But remember, we're talking about relative risk, while the absolute number is still relatively small. I'm going to tell you that in just a minute. The guidance goes on to say, quote, There is also a growing body of evidence that advanced paternal age is associated with an increased risk for complex disorders like some congenital anomalies, schizophrenia, autism spectrum disorders, and even some forms of cancer. Now, again, all super scary. But here's a take-home from ACMG, all right, American College of Medical Genetics. They say, quote, for most conditions, the relative risk is two or less, all right? So again, we're talking about a relative risk. Yes, two is kind of scary, but the absolute number is still low. But this is important to know. This is part of patient counseling. So uh, we, we need to let patients know about this. Actually, ACMG says you need to tell patients about the increased risk of these point mutations, these autosomal dominant issues, potential neurodevelopmental issues like uh, schizophrenia and autism spectrum. And here's the big one. There is data that potentially advanced paternal age is also linked, like advanced maternal age, to an increased risk of Down syndrome. How about that, of of trisomy 21? So trisomy 21 risk isn't just an AMA issue, it's an APA issue as well. And it's not just trisomy 21. There's only two kind of aneuploidies, all right, of, of chromosome number issues with APA. And the first is trisomy 21, but the second seems to be related to sex chromosomes and it's Kleinfelter syndrome, all right? So those are the two issues. So point mutations, autosomal dominant issues, and then trisomy 21 in Kleinfelter. So the ACMG states, quote, the two types of aneuploidy possibly associated with APA or trisomy 21 in Kleinfelter. Recent data on Down syndrome suggest a paternal age effect either acting alone or in combination with a maternal age effect, end quote. All right, it was 2002, and then it was 2008 by the American College of Medical Genetics, so we're doing this, right? I mean, we got it. Not so much. <laughs> and i got to be honest, because I, I don't always do, because I forget too, because we're so in tune to advanced maternal age, because that's our zone, right? That's our deal. Um, But this has actually been published, and it wasn't published long ago, in the Journal of Genetic Counseling. I'm telling you, there's a journal for everything. The Journal of Genetic Counseling. Who reads that? Well, apparently I do, because I read this article. Yikes. The the, the Journal of Genetic Counseling, it's legit. Look it up. (laughs) On September 2020, so just Three years ago, almost to the date, because this was on September 23rd, 2020, 
they they did a uh, a survey of of people who do prenatal care, perinatal care, preconception counseling. Now remember, this is basically genetic counselors. All right, uh, to ask, hey, how many of you all talk about the potential risks with APA? And and this was actually kind of an interesting response, as stated in this publication. Quote, 165 genetic counselors within the National Society of Genetic Counselors were assessed to determine their current approach to APA. Great, exactly what we're talking about. They go on to say, quote, although most respondents have discussed APA with a patient at 88%, there was no consensus on what age cutoff constituted APA, with 37% saying it was greater than 40 43% saying it was greater than 45, and 17% saying it was over 50. Now, let's not leave out those over the age of 50 because 1.4% said that advanced paternal age was greater than 55. So let's stop here for a minute. Guys, we're talking about the National Society of Genetic Counselors. Man, if anybody should get this right, should know, should know the age, it's them, right? They're the ones giving the information. And you see how, what is advanced paternal age? And that's because no, you know, ACOG hasn't come out. Uh, uh, ACMG hasn't come out. It's just this kind of vague talk like, yeah, it's an issue, kind of starts at 40. But it says starts at 40. Where, where, does it peak? Is I mean, I know we've said it's linear, but where is it highest uh, rate of rise? So there's, there's all this unknown. And so you can see even within this professional society of genetic counselors, uh, even though the, the biggest number, uh, the greatest percent was greater than 40 or greater than age 45, there was still this disagreement agreement among those surveyed with that N of 165 of what age cutoff that was. Now, remember, for, for practical purposes, according to most of the data, we're using age of 40, all right, four zero. Uh, the results go on to say, quote, those who discussed APA were more likely to be prenatal counselors um, and to see more patients per week and be board certified, end quote. Well, well that's good. And among the things that they typically discussed, according to this publication, uh, are things that we covered. So they are hitting the correct things. But remember, this wasn't OBGYNs. These weren't nurse practitioners. This wasn't the American College of Nurse Midwives. Um, This is a very select population of of genetic counselors. But they did say, yeah, hey, we we talked to them about uh, trisomy 21. There's this thing about Kleinfelter out there. Uh, And then there's neurocognitive issues. So so it, it depends on which house you live in, right? If you're talking about American uh, Society of Reproductive Medicine, they're like, eh, I don't know, there's no real test to check for it. I mean, it is kind of what it is. But but at least tell them there's an issue. And that's correct. ACMM also says you got to tell them at least about trisomy 21, throw in little Kleinfelters. And then you have this, um, the National Society of Genetic Counselors, that again, it wasn't even 100%, it was 88%, which is good. Um, but if that's what they do, why wasn't it 100% well, it, when patients are above a certain age? Uh, and, and at least they are hitting the, the, the big things here like uh, uh, Down syndrome and Kleinfelters along with the neurocognitive issues. Before we leave this quick summary review of this publication from 2020, this next excerpt, this next little sentence that I'm going to read verbatim is exactly why we're doing this podcast, all right? So here's what one of the main themes of the respondents was uh, as they wrap this up, and this is under the discussion section. Quote, 
many participants indicated that they were unfamiliar with current guidelines or that updated guidelines are necessary in order to improve the practice of genetic counseling, end quote. I totally agree. That's why we're doing this. And I'm thankful that that patient that I mentioned in our high-risk OB community clinic um, had that that question was, was spot on, which is, hey, is there any risks because he's he's kind of up there in age? And that led to this whole discussion. Well, you know, I don't want to frighten you that the absolute numbers are still pretty small. But yeah, I mean, th- th- there are some issues. And, and here's what some of these issues could uh, um, that that have been linked to this uh, that could potentially be adverse uh, reactions you know, from the pregnancy, out- adverse outcomes because of that uh, advanced paternal age. All right, y'all, let's leave chromosome aneuploidy issues. Remember, we're talking about trisomy 21 and Kleinfelter. Those are the two issues. That's out of point mutations and the autosomal dominant issues. The only two real chromosomal aneuploidies that the data seem to point to with APA, trisomy 21 and Kleinfelter. Now I want to get into psychiatric and neurocognitive disorders that have been found in children born to advanced paternal age when everything else has been stratified, right? And I get that, that there's a lot of factors here that go into this, including nutrition, environmental stressors. Yes, and we do not have one known cause of schizophrenia and autism spectrum. That is right. But those are two of the main issues here that have been linked to advanced paternal age. So let's cover that next. Yes, there are several psychiatric slash neurocognitive issues associated with APA. And again, we've known this for 20 years. I mean, this goes back to the late 90s, early 2000s, where they're like, hey, well, maybe we should take a look at this. Um, and even though we don't have the exact, you know, this one factor causes, them a, causes ASD, autism spectrum disorder, there is this independent association, remember that word association, between ASD and advanced paternal age. And there's also that same relationship to schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, uh, ADHD, and quote, any psychiatric diagnosis, end quote. Just throw everything else in there. Let's just briefly tackle schizophrenia, the first study to test this hypothesis that advanced maternal age could be related to an increased risk of schizophrenia because of the potential for de novo mutations or, here's the big word, right, guys, epigenetic effects. That's the issue here, how methylation changes and histone changes where your DNA itself, the, the structure of DNA can be legit. But but how that DNA interacts with the proteins and how it's transcribed, now called epigenetic effects, is is a huge new world of, of research, okay? So somebody asked, well, how does schizophrenia have to do? What does that have to do with APA? Easy, denuvial mutations and epigenetic effects. That first study, or one of the earlier studies, was out of Jerusalem. So, Lachaim to that. So, Jerusalem Perinatal Cohort Schizophrenia Study. Uh, that was published in the Archives of General uh, Psychiatry in 2001. And we've known this for a while. That demonstrated a linear increase in the risk of schizophrenia with increasing paternal age, even after adjusting for the maternal age. There you go. And each decade of the father's age multiplied the risk factor for schizophrenia by 1.4. So, wow. All right. So having a child at 79 slash 80, I mean, is, I mean, yeah, you can. I mean, I, these are just whatever risk you want to take, then take. But these are things that the patients need, uh, need to be aware of. 
So think about that. That is per decade increases it by 1.4. So you're like, ah, 1.4. Is that a big multiplier? Well, yeah, we're not going backwards. I mean, we're, we're going up. So to me, yes, th- that is a big deal. Now, in contrast, effects of maternal age were actually minimal compared to the effect on paternal age. Now, this is according to this one study, remember, and this was back in, in 2001. But they're not the only ones that have, that have shown this. And no, it's not just the Jerusalem publication. I mean, this has been looked at across ethnically diverse and geographically distinct cohorts. This has been looked at in the U.S., it's been looked at in Denmark, it's been looked at in Sweden. Interesting, right? These kind of themes keep popping up. One of the studies from the U.S. was by Brown et al. That was published in the American Journal of Psychiatry. 2002, guys, again, nothing, nothing new. The title of that publication was Paternal Age and Risk of Schizophrenia in Adult Offspring. You know, I like my meta-analysis, right? Because you can take a look at a lot of data at one time. Well, several meta-analyses have also confirmed the effect of APA on schizophrenia risk. Collectively, all of these studies have showed a tripled risk for schizophrenia in the offspring of the oldest group of fathers in comparison to the risk of younger fathers. So even though we need more data on this, if somebody ever asks, well, you know, well, you know, Men can have children all throughout their lives. Yes, they can. That doesn't mean they should. I mean, that's a whole other issue, right? Similar to the neonatal resuscitation thing is, hey, we can resuscitate a 22-weeker, a 21-weeker. We sure can. Uh, Should we, though? I mean, wow. So this is also another debate going on in a completely other realm uh, about as we push limits of viability down. Just because we can, does that mean that we should? And the same applies here. That same question applies here to to reproduction at advanced paternal age, especially past the age of 60, right? I'm not getting, I have no beef with somebody who's 45, 50, you want to take that risk, fine, absolute numbers are still small, you know, greater than 60, you know, hey, you do you, and as long as you, again, you're in a loving relationship, that's great, but think about these potential risks that, my goodness, they, they, they are real, and they have been repetitive in the literature. Oh, my goodness. I was just told that I'm like close to 36 minutes um, in this and I haven't even covered the other stuff. So we're just going to pick up some things quickly because I know attention span is just not that long. And I I become I become more editorialish in my episodes instead of just. I should just say the results. There's an increased risk of this. How boring is that, though? I mean, I feel like this is how we develop a relationship. You guys know a little bit about me. I know a little bit about you through your comments. 99% of those are great. I appreciate those. 1% are kind of snooty. (laughs) I don't know. Man, I got some some weird stuff. I didn't like X, Y, or Z. Well, then don't listen to it, homie. That's, That's my answer. Skip it. And when, this is why my podcasts are now starting to be like over 40 minutes. Okay, you see this? And none of that is relevant relevant to what I'm talking about. So let's just wrap this up here. Here it is. Ugh. The take home is APA is real. The APA, advanced paternal age, should 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 be discussed with patients. Not to like absolutely carte blanche say, don't do it. Again, if you accept the risk, knock yourself out. But there is this association, schizophrenia, ADHD, autism Spectrum, and it's not that this one gene does it. It could be it could be a de novo mutation. It could be an epigenetic change. Okay, so remember that these associations are real, and actually, the, the some of the strongest data actually points to APA and autism spectrum. 
one of the, the, the larger sets of data that looked into that was in 2014. Here it is, guys. This is scary. 3.5 times higher risk of ASD in offspring born to, to fathers age 45 or older. That's the, the Onofro uh, study. 2014, 45 and older, 3.5 times higher risk of autism spectrum. Uh, again, these are all real findings. This publication from 2014 was out of JAMA Psychiatry, and the title was Paternal Age at Childbearing and Offspring Psychiatric and Academic Morbidity. Of course, I'll add this to our reference list. I'm looking at this now as we're building it as we go, and it looks like we're up to, what, 11? These are 11 references, and again, I've said this in other episodes. Do y'all see the kind of I mean, this is a lot of data, guys. I just want you to just realize, and I know you do, to realize that basically in 40 minutes or so, you all have read 11 journals. I mean, for the most part, you're taking home the the key points of 11 articles. And some of these are society guidelines like the uh, ACMG. Some of these are publications like the one we just referenced. But it's pretty cool, right? In 50, you know, what, uh, 30 to 40 minutes or so, sometimes a little bit longer, you read anywhere from 10 to 15 articles and just the high yield stuff, not the design and the methods and blah, 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 and all these charts and tables. We just tell you the take home, the high yield stuff that we vet, right? It's not just one article. We vet to make sure that it, sustain, that it, uh, it sustains itself uh, along the rest of the burden of evidence. For sake of time, I just want to give you two big categories that have also been linked to advanced paternal age. Again, scary stuff, but thankfully the the numbers are the absolute numbers are still very small. But it is a relative risk increase, and that includes the risk basically for one kind of of specific hematological disorder, which is acute lymphoblastic leukemia, so ALL. All right, so ALL has been found to be uh, higher in in children and early uh, adolescents for uh, children born to advanced paternal age. That's ALL. And that's really the only one that's been found to be increased. And there's also some congenital anomalies, cleft palate, neural tube defects, upper limb defects, and congenital heart defects have shown an increase. Again, cleft palate, neural tube defects, upper limb defects, and congenital heart defects have been found at a higher rate, at a higher incidence in those that have a father of advanced paternal age. And podcast family, likely our last topic and our last reference has to do with pregnancy outcomes in general. These issues that we've been focusing on here dealt with the offspring, but pregnancy itself um, may be subject to some adverse issues. According to a publication from BMJ from 2018, which was a U.S. population-based cohort study looking at the association of paternal age with some perinatal outcomes, uh, yeah, being over the age of 40 and even higher over the age of 45, led to an increased risk of, of preterm birth as well as low birth weight infants, all right? So there was this association with advanced paternal age, significantly more over the age of 45, and this association with low birth weight. So those are the two specific issues. There, There's some looser associations with advanced paternal age and potentially stillbirth, but again, the absolute number is still very small, and, and that association has been less compared to things like preterm labor and low birth weight.
All right, podcast family. So that brings us to a wrap. We have covered a lot of info about advanced paternal age. It's a concept that we, we, we kind of know. It's in the back of our head. But we don't really think about it as much as advanced maternal age because we live in, in maternal health, right? We're women's healthcare providers. And so see how we're all, we all have a little bit of bias of some type. Uh, I'm just human nature, guys. Don't be mad. I mean, you know it's true. I mean, it, it's no one is perfect. And I love when people go, I'm not biased at all. Well, you're biased against being biased. I mean, <laughs> we all have something. It's okay. It's not okay to not recognize that. And, and that's just part of it. Just the fact that we concentrate more on advanced maternal age shows that we are biased. That's called the observation bias because of, of the house that we live with. So this is why we're doing this podcast, really to get that information out there and really just to educate. And it's a good conversation piece. So, hey, did you know that there's a thing about advanced paternal age? Well, now you do. All right, podcast family, as always, we're super thankful for you. I love your Facebook messages. It really brightens my day. Um, And thank you for putting up with the medical stuff as well as the non-medical kind of stupid stuff that we share because you can't be doctory and all professional all the time. And one thing that I've learned, look, there's plenty of sadness, plenty of angst in the world my goodness let's throw in some light and some laughter so as always we're thankful for you and we'll see you on another episode of clinical pearls